Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Biomast. We're on episode 198, kind of getting up there close to the big 200. Uh, we got a, a good set of topics to talk about today, so let's get started with some introductions, starting at the top of the list with Sarayazel. Hello, I am Sarayazel. I'm a co-host here on the show. I mostly play Blizzard games, and I've been uh, really crazy busy the last few weeks uh, with schooling stuff, but I'm now uh, kind of relaxing this weekend. You had a chance to try out that new Overwatch character yet? Uh, no. Okay. All right, Bait, you're up, man. Hey, guys, I'm Bait. Uh, I play Xbox, and I have not been busy this past week with school stuff. Are you totally stoked for them bringing back that glorious piece of device, the uh, the Xbox One controller? I actually did you see that? am. I did, <laughs> really? Yeah, and I commented it, uh, on it when it was posted in uh, in Dustvest, and because I saw your I saw your disapproving uh, groan, and I actually <laughs> am quite excited. I quite liked uh, the Duke controller, and I've had some really good memories um, with that controller in my hand. So I'm I'm actually really excited for it. Okay, teachers on. All right, Jay, you're up. Hey guys, it's Jay. I'm also one of the hosts here on Biomass, and uh, I play a little bit of games here and there, watch some movies, do, do a little bit of everything. Uh, I've been actually picking up quite a few uh, mobile games lately. I'm kind of in a lull in between some of the uh, the console or PC or, or Mac games that I've been playing, so uh, looking into some different mobile options. There's some really kind of cool ones out there that, that, are, that are quite fun. Uh, and a, the little fun fact I have for the number 198, our show tag tonight, uh, in World War II, there was actually a ship called the USS McCracken. I assume it was named after Phil. It's legit. <laughs> All right, good stuff, man. All right, and I'm uh, Pokey Draven. I obviously help uh, co-host the show here, and I do the Dungeon Crawl series on YouTube with uh, Livy, who joins us every once in a while. So without much further ado, let's get started with some uh, information coming up on, uh, looks like Star Wars Battlefront, or sorry, Star Wars Rebels, the uh, the animated series, Jay. This, they, they finally wrapped that one up? They did. After uh, four seasons, they kind of brought that one to a close. So, uh, and it, this was literally just uh, just this past week. So, uh, we, we won't have to get into a whole lot of spoilers. Uh, but uh, need, needless to say, it's definitely all over the interwebs right now. So, a uh, couple things. One, that series was. Um, I had some mixed feelings about it, uh, but it definitely had some. The high points were really, really high. And the low points were average. So overall, the series, when you look at it over across four years, you know, four seasons, excuse me, I, I actually thought it was pretty solid. Uh, they did a really, really good job of developing that small group of characters in the you know, the crew of the Ghost. And I thought it was extremely well voice acted. Uh, they had some some pretty pretty solid voice acting in there. And they were very deft, particularly Dave Filoni. He's the uh, the executive producer slash director, and, and I believe part time you. Know, partial writer um, of this series uh, he, he he sort of guides the narrative choices in the uh, in in the series I will have to say that he did a masterful job of weaving in the story of these people who you'd never really heard of in and around a lot of the like some iconic things that were going on or about to occur in Star Wars so you know from that angle I, I think I think the story was really good. This last season, I thought was exceptional, uh, and they had and, and really what they used, uh, I, whether by hook or by crook, or really, I don't I don't think they intended this series to really do this, but uh, kind of like Attack of the Clones, which Floney was also involved in. Uh, it starts much more as you know a very kid friendly kind of show, and then it ramped up over the over the seasons in terms of 
the level of complexity and how deep some of the stories were. So, uh, you know, no major spoilers here, but they, they had to resolve what was happening with the crew of the ghost because it, the story was effectively leading up to episode four, AKA star Wars, new hope, the, the OG star Wars. Um, and, and it had a really neat mixed bag of characters that were involved and they were really good at, again, touching all these other, a lot of other, you know, fairly significant things throughout the, um, the star Wars universe. But one of the things that, again, I think Filoni was quite, quite genius at, he used this series to answer a lot of questions that helped bridge the gap between the prequel star Wars and then the original trilogy that they, they were really, really good. Uh, I think one of the high points was the, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Darth Maul sort of, you know, that rivalry or that, that, you know, sort of battle throughout the stars and throughout the years, you know, decades in, in terms of story time and how it finally came to a head on Tatooine. That was a pretty powerful episode. I mean, it was, it was, exceptionally well done um and it again it was a great way of answering a lot of questions uh that certain other you know these big gaps in canon so to speak so uh to kind of sum it up this series this this last season you know they saw they really tell you what you know you really understand what happens with the entire crew and what they did is there was about a 90 minute finale this last week you go i won't get into the a lot of the specifics of it but the big part that was interesting to me it's probably the last five to seven minutes of it. So there's a huge time jump, like a, a huge time jump that describes really the ultimate fate of most of the characters. Uh, Kanan Jarrus, the guy, he's voiced by Freddie Prince Jr. He was uh, he was a Jedi Padawan when the uh, when Skywalker and the and uh, the the Clone Legion went in there and like started wiping out the Jedi, and he got away, or his master got him away. Uh, and so he, he sort of, he was sort of partially trained Jedi and he kind of grew up and that, that was, you find that out very early in the, in the first episode of the, of the, uh, series, he actually sacrificed himself earlier this in the finale or really earlier in the se- in the, uh, kind of the closing episodes of the series for you know, to save, uh, I guess his, you know, significant other, one of the other members of the ghost, but he had a fantastic character arc that went out that went throughout the series. So he was kind of already out of the picture for the most part. But uh, you find out kind of the fate of Sabine Wren, Evan, or excuse me, Ezra Bridger, uh, Zeb Relius, who's sort of the, the chewy sort of character. He's a big, he's a big gruff, you know, sort of alien kind of guy, uh, masterfully voiced by uh, Steve Blum, who's one of the best voice actors in the game. He, he's, you will remember him as the voice of Wolverine throughout most of the 90s uh, X-Men X-Men cartoons uh, and a lot of the other characters. And they also verified a couple neat things, which I will talk about. One, uh, they verified that Harrison Della and Captain Rex, the clone Captain Rex, were actually part of the Battle of Endor. They very specifically kind of kind of hint that. And this also confirms a neat little thing. There's there's one of the rebel commandos in uh, the uh, in Return of the Jedi. That's this big kind of, you know, Viking looking guy with a, a really brilliant white beard and a lot of people were speculating is that captain rex because that's kind of what he looks like in the in the uh in the rebels series and they confirmed that that was him actually which was kind of a neat little nod uh but they've also confirmed that sandella has been fighting for for the rebellion for quite some time and uh her and kanan had a son which you didn't know about until this uh zeb and uh this 
uh, Imperial officer that had been his antagonist for many large part of the, the series who eventually came over to the, uh, the rebel side, they actually became quite good friends and partners. Uh, you know, he, he eventually took him back to his home planet to meet some of the people that at one point he oppressed. It's kind of a neat, neat sort of scene. Uh, Sabine Wren, she was not involved in the rebellion or any of the, the events, uh, which was pretty cool. It, it really described where she was at and what she was doing. Uh, which was essentially staying on Lothal, which is kind of where a lot of the series sort of centered around. She was basically guarding over Lothal to make, in case the Empire ever came back, she would be there to fight them. Well, they never did, and she held true to her word that she would guard it until the Empire was in war. A uh, couple, couple things that were kind of interesting here. So with Sokatana, there was a lot of speculation about what her fate was. There was a, a big climactic fight between her and Darth Vader in this big Sith temple, which again was one of the best uh, arcs that they had during the series. Uh, she did survive that, which was that was very much left up in the air. And uh, her and Sabine are going to go on a, a, a what looks to be potentially a fairly epic journey to find Ezra. Now, uh, I'm not going to get into a lot of the mechanics about how this happened, but Ezra effectively, with the help of you know some some, some very large alien creatures, almost like space whale or space octopuses for lack of a better term. Uh, they basically saved the day. Thrawn was attacking Lothal and uh, Ezra uh, sort of sacrificed himself to take him and Thrawn out. They basically did a blind hyperspace jump out into the depths of unknown space. Uh, there was sort again, I won't get into how that happened, which was kind of neat and I don't want to spoil quite that mechanic of how they did it, but it was really cool. One of the things Dave Filoni, the showrunner, very quickly came up on the net was that that both Thrawn and Ezra were absolutely alive, which then leads you to a lot of discussion about like why well, this. I wonder if this there's going to be a follow-on series, which a lot of people are, are speculating that that will happen, or that that could be potentially part of uh, the, the that sort of parallel trilogy of movies that they've announced that Ryan Johnson's going to be involved in. So. That wrapped up really nicely. Where was Ezra Bridger, this fairly powerful uh, rebel agent slash, you know, Jedi or, or at least force trained warrior? Where was he during a lot of the uh, the trilogy or the original trilogy? And where, more importantly, perhaps was where was Thrawn, who was an absolute critical uh, piece in terms of how the in Empire would fight? Like, where was he at when all of these major events were happening? Well, they, they sort of had to take those two chess pieces totally off the board, and they did it in a very, very ingenious way that really opened the door to a lot of other stories. Um, I, I, I will, you know, I've been after like Rogue One and The Last Jedi and, you know, things like that. I, I was I was becoming a bit a bit jaded in terms of what a Star Wars finale could be. But let me tell you, Dave Filoni, he I think he might actually understand how to write star wars and how to understand that world and then really a attack it uh, with the audience better than ryan johnson and a lot of people are giving him mad props for totally upending the world of star wars with the last jedi but i gotta say what he's done over that four years and particularly some of those high point episodes and really this finale and the, the way he crafted the 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 characters the story and how he really deftly touched plot and canon elements in, in a very smart way. I think I, I, if, if there was a way to get that guy to do an actual Star Wars movie, they should. 
Uh, like that's just, I, I'm, I'm very high on Dave Filoni right now. Just when I look at the body of his work and he was also heavily involved in, in the, in the clone wars, which again, kind of started out a little bit more light, but over the course of that show, it became much more complex and pretty deep. So right now he's, his track record, as far as I'm concerned, is kind of a, a pretty good star Wars fan. It's pretty solid overall. I, I, even if you're not a big star Wars rebels fan, I think you could probably curate about seven to 10 episodes and if you watch them, they, they are as good as anything Star Wars as you will find. You know, they're up there with anything in terms of storytelling and kind of meat of, of the universe type stuff. But that finale was excellent. It's a 90 minute finale. Highly recommend folks check it out. You know, get it online or, or whatever your streaming service is. But you know, I definitely would give that one probably about a nine out of 10. And in the series overall, probably. At its low point, I'd give it, you know, six and a half, seven. At its high point, it's up in the nine point nine point five range. Easy. So overall, really good way to wrap up that series. You seen the uh, Clone Wars movie? The the one that kind of set this whole thing off. Uh, I believe I did. I think it was. Uh, I think it was about an hour and fifteen minute long, like super episode, right? That uh, sounds right. We'll yeah, see. it's it's it has been a long time since I've and since I've watched some of those though. I mean, these are the, between Clone Wars and Rebels. This has been going on for a real long time. If I understand, two thousand eight was when the Clone Wars movie came out. Whew. Yeah, it's been a while, and jeez. Yeah, but like, like I said, I I, I was you know I was kind of okay with the Star Wars Rebel stuff. Like that first season, I kind of stuck with it, just kind of get a feel for it. But uh, it's definitely uh, it, it 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 definitely had like I said, the high points were very high in the series, and this finale was quite good. Okay, sounds good, man. Yeah, it was a really good review. I I wish I had become more involved with that, but my brother follows it pretty closely, so I'll have to get his thoughts on the uh, the finale as well and see what he thought of it, because it just sounds like it was uh, a, a sight to behold, so it's good stuff. Yeah, no, I think that'd be actually pretty cool. Alrighty then, so let's move into some more gaming-related news here. Uh, kind of a big one that popped up, uh, I think it's all kind of brought to our attention just yesterday. So Fortnite is a game that we talk about quite frequently, um, both for the uh, Save the World PvE campaign, kind of the co-op tower defense sort of game, and then for the Battle Royale, which is probably what they're more commonly known for right now because of you know how, how much it's pretty much become a smash hit and a huge success and kind of pushing PUBG out of the way in terms of what's the you know premier uh, Battle Royale-style game out in the market right now. So big news coming to Fortnite is they are getting mobile support. And so when I say mobile, I'm talking like your cell phone will be able to play Fortnite soon. Um, it's coming to iOS initially and then Android a little bit later. And this is uh, this is battle royale specifically. They're they're not yes. currently doing the save the world mode I, for it. I would not even want to try to deal with the controls of the save the world campaign um, on a cell phone because it's it's intensive. Like it's it's a it's a mess on PS4. On PC, it's manageable, but on a cell phone, it'd be absolute hell. But getting the 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 battle royale on cell phone is is interesting. I think that this is kind of a uh, certainly something you haven't seen much of in terms of I mean I know Jay's familiar with cell phone games. You don't typically see large scale competitive, you know, shooter games on a cell phone. Um that there are there are some. Like mo- most of them are like I said, like the controls are, are a little little rough. That's definitely not the forte, but in terms of pad games, like uh, iPad games, uh they've got some that are really solid. But nothing like n- nothing like what we would you know like an Overwatch, a COD, or something like that. Nothing remotely like that. Uh, I think Fortnite just kind of the way it works. 
uh, I could I, I could see kind of logically how you could do it like on, like an iPad, for example, like an iPad Pro um, with the way the touch the touch controls work when you're doing like first person shooter stuff or, or just like kind of dynamic games. Basically, you just put your thumb on the screen and it works just like thumb the thumbsticks. And then you've got some some tap buttons uh, that you can work on. I, I could see the controls because Fortnite to be real. Fortnite is not a I mean, that's not a, an incredibly complex game to play. No, um, not at all. I, I think you and the graphics certainly are well within the power of most of the iPads, certainly. So I I think they could do that. I mean, I, th- I think I think they could, but I don't think I would want to. I mean, is this like designed to be like crossplay PVP type stuff or just just a mobile version of it? So that, that is kind of another point is that they are adding crossplay between um, PC, mobile, and PS4. Um, and, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, Zell, I think you, you said that they could, you can opt out of crossplay. You could stay just within your own your own platform, or you could choose to play with other people on other platforms. Yes, is and, that correct? And yes. And then the other thing is they have specified here, and this is where this gets complicated, is they are going to, they are going to do crossplay with Xbox. Um, basically, it was announced without Xbox, and then a couple days later, uh, presumably Microsoft is uh, like, okay, all right, fine. Um, but it sounds like they're going to allow crossplay with PS4 and Xbox to each will be able to crossplay with PC, Mac, and, and mobile. It, but ooh, that Xbox wow. and PS4 will not be able to crossplay with each other. <laughs> what the hell? What? <laughs> It's so stupid. Really? I, I'm well. I'm reading this here because it says, "Well, Fortnite and Microsoft technically support full crossplay. The game won't allow players on Xbox One to play with the on PS4 or vice versa." It, <laughs> oh my god! So here's it's... here's here's what's gonna happen. This is the old. It's like the old story of the camel's nose under the tent kind of thing. If they if they do this and it works, it like I think you will see a steady and increasing drumbeat of Fuck it. Let's just do let's just do cross play on, on the console level. I I I'm calling it now. Like this, it, it may take a little while, but if this goes off and it works, uh, people are going to be like, "Why the hell aren't we just playing? Why can't we just do this on common games uh, between consoles?" There's absolutely no reason not that, that you can't. By the way, uh, other than people don't want to. And that well, was kind of epic stance. Is they're like, this is what we see the future of gaming going to be is going to be is crossplay. So we're going to try to you know be one of the first to really push it really hard across a lot of different platforms. All all the the only thing that the video game world needs is one game to do this and be like success. Like like no general bug. Like hey, it generally works. No major issues. Just one game to do it. And it's just Katie bar the door to door at that point. Like, and then, then you're going to have a fight on it. I think what you would see then is the console wars, like the hardware wars will become more important than they already are. By the way, PlayStation's whipping the shit out of Xbox for years now. Like I, you can argue computing power. I'm just saying in just terms of sales of consoles. So I think what you're going to see, if this happened, I could you know, look into the future a little bit. You would end up with, a much it would be much the console hardware wars would become much more important. Uh, you would see probably more rapid iterations on that or modular style consoles, aka game computers that fit under your TV, which is damn near what they are now. Uh, that th- and then you would also see console uh, unique games. You know, sort of those marquee games that will like Halo will only be played on an Xbox or you know that kind of stuff. Um, 
that I think would be where the where the future would be at if if they really opened up the crossplay. Uh, but there's there's effectively no reason not to do it. I mean, I can't I can't for the life of me think you know I, I assume they think there's a money issue or that they can control their market shares better or something. I'll be frank with you, I don't I don't know that that's a thing. I'm just not real sure that 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 calculus holds uh, in terms of why why people are so reticent for crossplay. At this point, it feels almost juvenile that they're just refusing to do it. When ever, like literally every one of their customers are like, "No, we want this because it sucks when your friend you want to play with has a different console and you just can't play together because you know reasons." You know, there's there's not like you said, there's no good reason for this other than they're just being stubborn and refusing to do it. Honestly, but I think you're right, Jay. I think it will be interesting to see how well this does. I think just with the momentum that Fortnite Battle Royale has, it's going to do well. Um, and this could be kind of a game changer and really kind of show like, hey, this is a viable, you know, business model for games to have crossplay between different kinds of platforms. You can make more money by doing this. And I think that that's, uh, that's going to be nothing but a good thing for both the companies that, you know, decide to adopt it as well as the players. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, like, like I said, Fortnite's a fascinating, you know, franchise and story altogether. And, uh, you know, it'll be good to kind of see where it goes. Um, one small detail on that though, is that, uh, we've kind of mentioned this before that they like to do with battle royales. They introduce like temporary test game modes, just different weird things that they can do, um, just to kind of break up, you know, the gameplay from week to week. I mean, you always got your, like, 100-man Battle Royale, but they like to have these, like, you know, a couple weeks they'll throw out a weird game mode, like the, the Florist Fire, where you took damage while standing on solid ground, um, and you had to kind of build above it. You know, that was kind of something they tried. Uh, there's a new one coming out uh, pretty soon here. It's uh, Battle Royale, so it's 100 people still, but it's five teams of 20. So you've kind of got a, a team dynamic, but still that level of scale. That actually appeals to me way more than, you know, what... That would, uh, uh, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, that's kind of like mag-level stuff there, where it's like tons of players, but you still kind of have that team level. So I might actually check that one out, because that sounds awesome. So so now that's on... Is that, is that PUBG, or is that Fortnite? That is Fortnite Battle Royale. Okay. So if you want to try that, that is free on um, all platforms currently. Is, so. is that going to be a... Is that like a special event, or is that just a, a mode that they're, that they're just putting in the game it is a special event um they like i said most of these are temporary um but they i think they do cycle them every so often but they'll come back with some popular ones that did well um and bring them back so you know it, it's a thing you want to hop on think, think of it kind of like destiny's events with like uh, uh like iron banner where you you do it okay. for like a week or two I got um, you. but it'll come back eventually so this one looks good i might actually try this one out and it's okay. free so you know if you're interested give it a shot so moving along here, and I know that uh, Jay and I can probably go on about this one for, for a long time, so we'll try to keep it brief. Um, so Tom Clancy's The Division is a game that both of us played for quite a while uh, when it came out back in the day, about two years ago. Um, and for me, I kind of fell out of, love, out of love with it. It was a good experience throughout the main campaign, but then the end game just kind of had a lot of issues that made it less enjoyable kind of the more I played it. And I eventually dropped the game probably about a year in. Um, they have announced this weekend that they are currently working on The Division 2, so a sequel to the game, um, and that more details are going to be coming out at E3, which is June 12th through the 14th. So uh, <laughs> this is kind of an interesting parallel that I'm, I'm going to make but not be judgmental about, is because from what I've heard, um, by the end of The Division 1, they had kind of patched it and added some stuff and fixed a lot of the issues people had problems with, and that the end product of The Division 1 was actually pretty good nothing like crazy amazing but it was it was a lot better than when it started um 
and I, I kind of have felt that like the Des- Destiny one had a similar story where it started off pretty rough and through multiple iterations towards the end after Taking King and, and Rise of Iron, they kind of figured it out and it actually worked pretty well. We were all hopeful for Destiny two to continue on with that, and that obviously had more issues than I care to get into. And so when I see Division two, I'm going, oh god, <laughs> you know, please let's not have this be, you know like destiny too and then just kind of have them forget all the stuff they learned and go back to the same bad habits so um you know just between me and jakes i don't think uh zell and, and bait played much of this kind of recapping on division one what are kind of some critical core changes that you feel would be necessary in division two to make you interested in actually playing this one um okay well uh, well let me let me one every Everything you kind of the way you laid out uh, the context for for Destiny or God uh, the division, it, I would I would definitely agree that that analogy of how it worked with Destiny One in terms of uh, t- took some significant hot you know like big DLCs and and some kind of changes to the core components of the game to really kind of get it to a good state and uh, I, I played the game pretty heavily for for a while and it just. Um, I'll kind of talk why I stopped, which is a little bit different than than the re, you know than some people. Um, so long story short, I I will have full disclosure. There's just parts of the game I just don't like. Like it's and it's not that the mechanics are bad or that the story is bad or that how they were doing things was wrong in the game. Just parts of the gameplay aren't for me. You know, it's it's and I went into this game really super hyped about it. And there's a lot of it that I, I really, really like. Like, I mean, a lot of it that I really like. But there's a few core things that I just can't get past. Um, and it kind of really comes down to when the developers were pushing you know, at the big grand premieres when it, when it was coming out and, and the game was shipping. I, you know, I remember this, and then I remember it was pointed out. There's a couple of YouTube content guys. Uh, Skillup was is a huge YouTuber that covers uh, Division. He pointed this out in, in a, a video probably a couple of three months ago that was talking about kind of the final, what, what the division had finally become. He said, he shows this clip and I remember this. I actually remember seeing this before where like, Hey, what's the one thing you want people to remember about the division? And the director said that it's an RPG. Okay. Check. It's an RPG. Well, when you actually start playing the game, ultimately what it really comes down to is when you start, when you're in wow or something like that and you, continue to gain levels and do stuff. You know, there's some mechanics that you'll fight about your, your work through in raids and things like that. But ultimately what happens, you just get like bigger, huger bosses, you know, bigger HP pools that you got to deal with to, that can soak your, your more powerful weapons and spells. It works the exact same way in the division. The problem I have is that the game setting and those mechanics in my mind just didn't work for me. It's, and we, you've heard pokey kind of, kind of, you know, throwing jabs at me a little bit. And it's, it is very funny. And I always used to rage about, um, you know, a, a guy's like, you know, plus five hoodie of protection, you know, a guy with a hoodie <laughs> sweatshirt that's like soaking up, you know, like magazine after magazine of, of an assault rifle or something like that. I just, I just despise that because it's, it's almost like immersion breaking or it just, it, my mind doesn't sync well with what I'm doing in the game. If it's aliens and I've got like shields and I'm throwing lasers for some reason, it works. If it's monsters and dragons and I'm throwing spells and swords, it works. But you know, if it's this grounded, gritty, realistic 
looking game, and it is, and it is a beautiful looking game. Great movement and cover cover uh, mechanisms in the game, but when I see that kind of stuff, it just it's jarring to me, and I just I just don't like it. Uh, but there's a lot of the things you can do in the game that are phenomenal. I mean, I I, I like it a lot um, from that aspect. So anyway. That was the real main reason I, I stopped playing. Now, in terms of what would make me interested in, in a, uh, a division two, let me, you know, you know, I'll set aside my major beef with it that, that will ultimately probably keep me from playing the division two outside of maybe checking it out for a review or something like that. Um, whatever they have got the game at, whatever, whatever state the game is in now that, that people like that is working well, for the love of God, don't fuck that up. Like, like that is the lesson I've watched with Destiny 2. Uh, whatever Ubisoft has in that game that they think is working, that they're getting good feedback from their player base that is working, you know, how the numbers work, the mechanics work, don't, don't scramble those eggs. Like, take that and then build on it. Now, from a story standpoint, their story was really good. Like the story, you know, the kind of story mode throughout the game was really good. There's a lot they can do there. Uh, and it can, and it can easily, you could easily branch this thing out to other, you know, you basically, what the hell was going on outside of the city of New York while all this shit was going down. Uh, you can, you can definitely kind of get that vibe. Now it, they may have pigeonholed themselves in terms of like, you know, how do you just build a whole new city that's, like going through the exact same ravaged sort of chaos, apocalyptic event. That might be kind of hard. I mean, that's kind of a big imagination leap. It's very doable, but you know, that's something they got to work on. Uh, so again, keep whatever's working mechanically, you know, from a story perspective, you know, and all that kind of good stuff. Um, I do think that they had to figure out the PVP part better. Uh, that again, much like I was describing, you know, when you're fighting an ad or like a, you know, like one of the, uh, premium enemies, the yellow bar enemies, if you will. And, and, you know, and you're just, you're throwing grenades and submachine gun fire, shooting him in the face. And, you know, he's just staring at you and like, you know, like, you know, he's got a baseball hat on and he's absorbing 45 caliber rounds. Like that Saint works the exact same way in PVP, but it's even more brutal there. Uh, and they had a huge amount of problems with hackers and cheaters, even on console, when they, when the game came out. So the dark zone, they're, they're kind of almost like Eve online esque sort of, do you trust people? Do you not trust people? You can get backstabbed and have your get ganked and all that stuff. The, the concept behind that was really, really good. And that was very intriguing. One of the things that brought me to the game uh, initially, but again, it's, you know, there was really no separation between players. So the minute you encountered somebody that was, noticeably higher level than you, and it didn't take much to get this way, you you were not going to win. You were not going to outrun them. You were not going to beat them. You were just going to lose whatever you had right there. And, and it was a pain in the ass. Um, and then you added to a lot of their their the problems they had with hackers and, and, and some cheaters, which they did crack down on quite a bit. Uh, they, they, did, they did go after that pretty hard at one point. So I think if they can figure out some way to get that meaningful PVP in that's not um, that where, where players can, can actually get in and sort of fight in sort of weight classes almost uh, at least a little bit, and then maybe have other zones that are, or other areas that are truly your best rewards, but it's total free for all, but they've got to figure out some way to kind of implement a little bit better PVP system uh, in terms of 
you know, how that works. The mechanics of it work really good and actually have been copied in quite a few other games. The whole, like, you go do a bunch of things and you got to go to an extraction point. You send up the, the like a flare, essentially. And then you got to defend your turf for X amount of time for the, before the extraction comes to get your loot out. Uh, that's that that's actually been been uh, copied in, uh, gosh, what's that, uh, that that game, Pokemon, you've been looking at? Um, damn it. Uh, the Monster Hunter game, not Monster yeah. Hunter, but uh, the Hunt. Oh yes, yeah. that has that's, kind of Dark Zone a, style stuff. Yeah, very, very, very similar uh, mechanic in terms of how you actually finish out a level after you killed the monster. If you did kill the monster, uh, so they need to change a little bit of that. So keep what's working, uh, iterate on the story. You know, add mechanics, add things, be augmentative to the game. Literally. Don't go in and try to rework the DNA of the game if you think you've got it right now, or or at least you've got it pretty solid. And then kind of work on something where you can make the PvP a little bit more, um, not friendly, but you can make the PvP a little bit more realistic in terms of how do you bring in pay- player base and then let them grow. Because a lot of people will get into the dark zone, particularly after the game had matured a little bit, uh, they would get into the dark zone, and the first time they went there, they would just get splattered and they're like well fuck that i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do that i'll just i'll play call of duty or overwatch or whatever else if i want pvp play because it was it was very asymmetrical so if they can fix those three things i would be more i'd be more willing to to give the divisional look that being said if they do follow that advice aka keep the things that's working it's probably still going to be that same style of game mode that i probably won't want to play just because i i just said i don't like that uh you know, I like RPGs a lot. That's probably my favorite game, but I don't, but in that world, the way the mechanics work, it's just, I just don't, you know, just doesn't work for me. Yeah, that's pretty fair. And I think, you know, maybe for a different reason, but I think that a lot of our, our gripes with the game are actually somewhat similar. Um, kind of like what you're talking about, you know, the idea that, you know, you're dumping literally magazines of, of ammunition into a guy that's not, for those who haven't played the game, that is not an exaggeration by any means. Like there is like an LMG with like a hundred bullets in it and you would have to reload to kill the same guy. Like absolutely ridiculous. Um, from an immersion standpoint, yes, that's idiotic. From a gameplay standpoint, it's an absolute bullet sponge way of, of balancing. Yeah, very um, common mechanic. I, mean, I, hate I, that. I, I under, I understand to a degree why they have to do that, but it's just, it's, it's one of those where it's, you know, I'm still shooting him with a pistol. I I, right. own, I own some of the guns that I would that I actually had in the game. I'm pretty confident I know what they do. <laughs> That's not it, <laughs> right? Yeah, and and you know from a realism standpoint, I'm probably a little more willing to give on that than than you are simply because of lack of you know real world experience that sort of thing. That being said, what they did was ridiculous. Um, that's not a, a fun way to do it, where I have to shoot a guy for hundreds of bullets to kill him. I mean, Destiny 1 did that with some of their bosses, where it was just like, I'm here for an hour shooting this guy with, with these guns. Like, this isn't fun anymore. It's just a grind. Um, so in terms of like how their core combat works, they've got to really dial that back in. Um, I'm not looking necessarily for like Ghost Recon Wildlands level of you know, one bullet to the head is going to kill a guy no matter what. Um, that kind of removes a lot of the RPG elements from it, which I would still like to see, but they do need to kind of rein in, you know, how much this stuff scales in and out because it, it was it was frustrating when you're like, this is dumb. You know, we got like four guys to 
blowing away on one dude. And yeah, he's got body armor on, but come on, like it wasn't it wasn't ghost. They got they really got to rein that in and make it like I said, not like ghost recon wildlands level of you know one shot kill but not to the you know i shouldn't take more than a few bullets to to kill an enemy regardless of what it is now if you want to really dive deep into the gadgets and stuff i really like that like the the flashbangs and little drones and all that sort of thing and, and kind of make that be a lot more of the progression and how that works and you know side grades and that sort of thing that's great you know i think that's fine that's kind of got a cool you know edgy futuristic feel to it but still kind of grounded in reality cool let's go with that um, but the bullet sponge stuff has got to go like that. That really pulled me out of a lot of the gameplay um, kind of along what you're saying with the dark zone. I've got a gripe with this idea and I had hoped that destiny two would not go the way it did. And it actually doubled down the way it was trying to do it. If you're going to have a game that's got like shared progression between PVE and PVP, you have to understand that those styles of games are literally trying to accomplish the opposite of each other. In PVE, the whole idea is I'm progressing to get as strong as possible to widen the gap between me and the enemies as much as possible to feel like I'm you know, making progress through the game. PvP is the opposite. You want to keep people about the same because, you know, if you have large gaps in just core stats, then player ability has nothing to do with it after a while. And that's not fun. You don't go into, you know, a PvP game mode to, you know, compare stats. You go in there to actually compare your skill to other players. And when you've got these massive gaps in, in you know, player level effectively, it completely defeats the purpose. And so, you know, if they're going to do both, I don't have a problem with that, but they have to balance them separately. There has to be a separate system for PvP and a separate system for PvE. And that's kind of why I like what like Fortnite did, where they said, yeah, they're the same characters, the same guns, but it's a completely separate system. Everyone starts off the same in the PvP and the PvE is its own thing. They've got to do something like that. I, I don't I don't believe that you can balance a PvE experience and a PvP experience with the exact same system and stats. It, it doesn't work. And you'd see that in, in the Dark Zone. You'd go in, and like Jay said, you'd have guys where they're literally just soaking up ammunition, and then they shoot you once and you're dead because they've been playing the game or they've got this certain skill set role or whatever. They've increased that gap so wide that you literally have no chance no matter what you do simply because they have better stats than you. And it has nothing to do with your ability. It's just their gun and their armor is just leagues ahead and you're just screwed and they didn't do a very good job and they, they struggled this a lot and they made improvements but it really never fixed the issues with trying to get people in the same weight class kind of like jay said it just never worked out right um and just the way that the system was designed you were designed to imbalance it as much as possible to do well in the pve and it just broke the pvp so they've got to fix that too like you know, that was what, my biggest gripe you, you said something that, that kind of that that struck me um so when you play a lot of other games that have kind of that uh, that open-ended sort of like a PvP kind of world, uh, WoW is a good example of this. Uh, or even, you know, potentially something like uh, like Elder Scrolls Online. But like WoW is probably the most, like, easiest one to, to, to leap onto. You can look at another character visually and you can tell when you're fucking way out of class. Like, you you can see by what they're carrying and what they look like that you don't want to be in conflict with them. You don't want to get into combat with them easily. One of the other, one of the problems that you run into in the division is that your, your chest armor, hoodie, ball hat, you know, jeans, and your rifle look exactly like mine. 
and you don't really realize until when you if you get to jump on somebody or you're like hey i want to gank somebody at a you know at a, a, a loot extraction and you and you think you're you're a relative relatively well uh well-developed character and you drop like pretty the better like an entire magazine into the head of an enemy and it does not and it barely moves the health bar and then he like whips out a pistol and like two shots you but he looks fundamentally exactly like you there's really no way to tell like that's one of the parts that was particularly aggravating i think in the early stages of the game i don't know if they fixed that with like mouse overs or can you right click on somebody kind of like you do in destiny do like get a quick scan of them or some shit but like that was annoying as hell like like that was really annoying no i agree and you know visual indicators and understanding exactly where everyone around you is going to be maybe not down to the fine detail but having a general idea of what you're going to be going up against is important i think to have a fun game experience even people playing the game now will say the dark zone is broken even after all the fixes they're like it just it doesn't work the way it's fundamentally built and i think they really got to take a hard look at you know how they're handling it because like you said there's some parts of it that are absolutely awesome like the whole extraction mechanic that's like like it's like eve online levels of stuff where you're like you know you're like hiding and you're freaking out and you're just watching every little bit of movement like ultra fun high t- high intensity very tense situations that's good shit but then when the guy comes out and shoots one sticky bomb and wipes out your entire group in like 0.3 seconds it's like okay <laughs> you know like that wasn't fun that was just he just had the the right stats to insta you know instigate the entire party at once that's not fun. Um, and that's kind of the big issue they're fighting with. And I, I just think that the way they handle balancing has got to be fundamentally different. And like you said, you have to know what you're going to be going up against I, um, to some I, degree. So, I mean, I, I, like I give Destiny some, some, you know, over the years of giving them some grief about a little bit of some of their PVP stuff, because they, they have a hard time balancing between PVP and PVE, you know, like, for, you know, but what they do effectively is they level everything. Like they, they, when you go into PVP in the majority of their PVP game modes, I don't care like like what level like weapon that you have, whatever the the unique mechanics are, they stay. But like the damage rates and your uh, and your HP and buffer, you know your your you know, that you know those kind of pools, they're all leveled. Uh, you know, like there there's no you can have like the rarest weapon in the game, but fundamentally it's not going to be that much of an advantage necessarily outside of maybe special perks or something that it has than somebody who has a, a quote unquote less powerful weapon. Uh, that's the only way that they could have, if you do that in the dark zone, that shit makes sense. And then you, and you scale everything to that. Now the pro the, one of their problems is the dark zone, you, you get a lot of loot really from like PVE. So this is PVEP or whatever the hell the right way to save it is you're doing PVE tasks against very high level enemies, even the random ones are very high level and they'll have like, you know, hero bad guys that'll drop that drop the really good loot. And that's how you get the really good loot. And then you got players coming after you. So that, you know, like you said, there's some things that they need to kind of figure out a little bit. Um, again, I love the idea of it. I just don't know how they're going to, how do you, how do you implement? And I don't really have a good recommendation for them either. Not, by the way, not that they listen to us about that shit, but <laughs> it's, right. you know, I, I, I am a huge fan of the fact that they swung for the fences and were trying to do this, but I just don't, I just don't, 
I'm not sure what they got to do to, to, to fix that. If there's a core mechanic they need to change, you know, it's kind of counter to my kind of rule number one on this. They need to work on the dark zone in, in terms of that. Yeah, that's fair. No, I, I think that there's a, a lot of things that they have to consider. And that's why I, I am being careful not to just draw it in the, oh, it's going to be like Destiny 2 and it's going to be a mess. It's a similar story, but it's definitely not the same studio, not the same game. I'm real curious to kind of see more details come out. And if there are some some fundamental changes that kind of address some of the issues that we were talking about, I might give it a, give it a, give it a go, you know, but if it's going to be just a, yeah, we're kind of doing the same thing and just, you know, tweaking a few things, eh, I'll probably give it a pass. So I'm, I'm watching this one and I'll probably retouch on it, you know, as we get closer to E3 and start getting some more details. But, uh, you know, until then we'll keep an eye on it and uh, see how it goes. Okay. So it looks like uh, a game. <laughs> so Call of Duty Black Ops 4 got announced uh, this last weekend as well. Um, What's going on with that one, guys? Oh, uh, as I think uh, everybody who kind of keeps uh, keeps uh, a relatively close eye um, on on the Call of Duty franchise, you know, kind of knows that okay, every year about October, November, uh, there's going to be a new Call of Duty game that comes out, uh, and so so how uh, it was at the developers how they had that going is every uh, every year. In, in a rotation, I think like three developers, somebody else makes a new Call of Duty game. So right now we have uh, we have Infinity Ward, uh, Sledgehammer, and Treyarch um, are the are the main uh, devs that are heading that up. Uh, and so you know, with each developer, you'll have you know their series, if you will. So back up in rotation now, we're uh, we're two Treyarch, um, which been making uh the the black ops games since 2008 i think the first one came out um and so was the that three days ago i think the eighth no no it's just yeah three days ago um black ops 4 was officially announced um so it it can be assumed uh, at this point that it's going to pick up the story um from the third game in 2015 um uh, but that's about all we know. Um, there's going to be a, a reveal in May uh, that is going to be streamed on on Twitch, um, you know, with more details. Um, but the game already does have a release date of October 12th. That's so, pretty interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, you can pick it up. Um, maybe. Uh, the normally when I play Call of Duty, I do play with friends. Um, it's not something that I'll go out of my way and play by myself. Um, and we really haven't put that much time into World War II uh, as we have Black Ops 3. Um, so I think we might stick with World War II for a couple of months. Um, and then if we all decide, hey, we kind of want Black Ops 4, um, then, then we'll, we'll go ahead and make that jump. But for the time being, probably not. No. Okay. Good stuff. So another long-running game that we've kind of been talking about here, uh, Monster Hunter World. Um, I kind of <laughs> they keep getting me content to talk about, so I'm going to keep you know doing little updates here. So uh, the events for this week, the event items which are you go to the mission board, go to the very bottom, you see the events there. Um, they're usually unique things that are coming out, you know, uh, for each week, unique things to do. So there is one. Uh, I forget the name of the quest, but it's you fight three titsies at once, and if you've played the game, it's the little asshole blue raptor guys that, like, flash you in the face and stun you. Um, there's three of them at once. It's kind of hell if you don't do it the right way. Uh, but if you do this a couple of times, you get three tickets. You can turn it in to create some head armor, which looks like sunglasses. It looked pretty cool. 
Um, they've yep, got I those, got them. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The stun resist perk and the three level one gem slot. Like this is actually a pretty good headpiece. Like it's it's not just glamour. Like you can actually use it for for some good stuff. I was using it to fight an elder dragon the uh, earlier today just because of the gem slots. It worked out well for what I needed. So um, worth your time. Like the the event stuff is like no joke. They're actually useful. They're not just there to look cool or funny. So always be sure to check those out. Uh, other one is. Uh, I think it's called like Triple Threat or something like that. You got to fight three monsters at once in the arena. It's a great gross, a great Jagras, and a Dodogama. Um, the the description says it's great for decorations, which are the gems you see in your gear, which is true. It actually is pretty good at that. The thing they don't tell you, though, is that if you go in with the Bandit Mantle, which is um, the mantle when you put it on, basically it allows you to break off trading items off of enemies. So it's things you can pick up. They're like little golden shards on the ground when they, they pop off. You can sell all those for usually a thousand to ten thousand, depending on which one. You, um, these things drop like a ton of them. Like we farmed it for probably like an hour, and I went from like fifty k to like three hundred and fifty k. Like it's gold mine. So if you've got the bandit mantle, um, definitely worth going into a farm and just kind of build up a cache of, of money because this game always requires money for the next thing you're doing. Uh, if you don't have the bandit mantle, um, look it up online. It's really easy to get. It's just like an optional quest you can do. But that's worth doing. Uh, also, this coming Wednesday, there's going to be a stream. Um, some big announcement they're kind of hinting at. My best guess is it's going to be the Devil Joe DLC monster. Um, Devil Joe is kind of a, a reoccurring monster from previous in the series. They've kind of showed it off already with a little bit of a teaser trailer. But we're guessing that this coming Wednesday was the final, like, yes, it's coming. It'll be updated on Friday. You know, here you go. Uh, and as usual, it's going to be free. This is not a paid DLC. It's just a part of their ongoing service of adding stuff to the game. So um, keep your eyes peeled. You'll probably it'll probably be uh, out by the time this episode airs. But you know, uh, do check it out if you missed it. And it's probably worth uh, keeping an eye on if you are playing Monster Hunter World. So in terms of other announcements, uh, Nintendo Direct was this weekend as well. And this is you know always a, a wealth of knowledge about upcoming stuff that's coming out for various Nintendo systems. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Um, I picked up on two of them that I'm personally interested in. Uh, Dark Souls Remastered. This is one I've mentioned before. Uh, they are taking the original Dark Souls, that was a PS3 game, and kind of doing a not a remake, but a remastering, you know, updated textures, higher frame rate, that sort of thing. That's coming out on um, all platforms, I believe. So uh, PS4, Xbox One, and of course the Switch, which is what they were kind of talking about at this announcement. Uh, that's coming out May 25th, and the big thing that they were talking about is, you know, the, the uh, Amiibos, which um, are little statuettes you can get for, you know, more modern Nintendo consoles. Um, they sell really well. Collectors absolutely love these things, and Nintendo has marketed this shit so well, they make a ton of money off of them. Um, in conjunction with the release of Dark Souls, you can get a Solaire of Astora Amiibo for your console. And if you don't know who uh, Solaire is... You've probably heard the, the term praise the sun at some point um, in anything related to Dark Souls. This is that guy. He's an incredibly popular character. Um, just this thing's going to be impossible to get. But, uh, you know, if you are a collector, you know, keep an eye out for this. It'll be a tough one. But uh, if you like the character, definitely worth your time. He looks pretty cool. And I think if you use him on your Switch, it allows your character to do like the, the praise the sun uh, emote basically in game. So it'd be pretty cool. And the other big one is, of course, Super Smash Brothers for Switch got a teaser. Um, it's coming out in 2018. We don't have an actual release date yet, but, you know, this year. So that's good to know. Uh, it kind of spe- the, the teaser featured the Inklings from Splatoon. So those little squid kids running around shooting each other with paint. Um, 
and the the trailer's kind of neat. It's it spawned a couple of memes, but it's 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 pretty cool. Uh, no gameplays, but you know I suspect I'll probably release more details at E3. So you know keep an eye out. It's going to be a big title. This has always been a a big console seller for Nintendo with the Super Smash Brothers series. So looking forward to that one now that I actually have a Switch. So it'll be good to see what they come up with for uh, the next iteration in that uh, IP. So moving along to a discussion we kind of mentioned a few weeks ago uh, regarding, in general, the idea of video games being adapted to movies. And we've seen this happen a couple times, usually to not the best, <laughs> not the best results. Um, but Jay kind of brought up a good idea that, you know, we kind of go around the table and, you know, get everyone's idea of what kind of film they would think would be good to adapt into a film. You know, may that be, a, you know, a trilogy or just a single title um, just kind of your thoughts on what you would like to be adapted and that it would actually be viable for adaptation. So um, we'll start with Jay, you know, since you kind of started this one off. Uh, what what games did you like to see adapted into a movie? Sure. Um, so, the, you know, these are kind of these kind of like sort of fun discussions, like we kind of refer to them as, you know, sort of your like, you know, over a pizza and a beer kind of kind of conversations. Um a couple things that, that stood out. One, we've talked uh, periodically. You know, it's no it's no secret that we were we are we would be massive fans if Overwatch ever generated a you know like a, a movie or a short series or something like that. Uh, I think that's one of the ones where, on the strength of their the CG shorts that they do and the voice acting and the writing they have, kind of the story and world building that they put in there. I don't think I would want to go live action. I would say keep that one CG and keep it with the voice actors from the game and, and really put something like something coherent together, you know, like a 90 minute, you know, sort of uh, Overwatch movie. And I think that would be one that that's probably got the highest percentage of chance to do to do well and be a good product and make money out of anything we're probably going to talk about. That's probably the one that is. You know, there's no such things as Stone Cold Let Pike block on all and any of this stuff, but that's probably the one that's closest to it. Um, a couple that kind of jumped out at me. Uh, one, uh, I think Fallout would be a really cool thing. I don't know that you could do a Fallout movie just based on the scope of it. I thought about things like Morrowind or, or really Skyrim, but then you kind of get into this. Is that a little too... Game of Thronesy, which you can make a lot of analogies to now, um, but Fallout might be kind of interesting. It would be a bit of a novel sort of world, and there's some unique characters they they, they could have, and you could kind of pick whoever you wanted, either male, female, whatever, as the protagonist. That doesn't really matter. What matters is that they have a German Shepherd named Dogmeat, which is fine. Uh, but you could you could come up with a lot of interesting things, and it's really about like having the right sort of character actors built around them, uh, so to speak. So, and it depends on where you'd want to, like which fallout you'd want. I kind of think that you could make something around uh, fallout new Vegas, yep. uh, probably, probably a Netflix, Netflix S kind of thing. If they did like a, a nine or 10 episode kind of trial run, you could probably do some neat storytelling and I could see them getting some like really, really super high quality um, like character actors brought in and, and it, that, that would be one of the ones I think I'd be interested in. Um, we kind of talked a lot about Star Wars Rebels earlier. One of the other ones that, that has always really just grabbed me was uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, whether it's KOTOR 1 or 2, the Knights of the Old Republic stories, those were phenomenal. They did great characters. That, and, and, you know, the games, 
like the gameplay doesn't hold up very well just in terms of the technology. Uh, if you go back and you play it here recently, because they, you know, Bioware has just launched way past that, you know, with a lot of their subsequent styles of games. And really, KOTOR was was the thing that, that brought you Jade Empire, Mass Effect 1, 2, 3, and Andromeda. Well, you know, 1, 2, and 3, let's fucking just forget Andromeda. Um, you know, Dragon Age, a lot of that DNA came from Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, but they had some really kind of unique characters. HK-47, uh, I would love, I'd love to... I'd, I'd love to get that character back. Um, Kander Sordo, who is sort of like one of the, one of the original Mandalores, you really you, you learn a lot about the Mandalorians and their their kind of culture and and sort of where they fit in the Star Wars universe in that series. And there's a lot of a lot of folks that you could kind of inject into these kind of things. Um, off the top of my head, uh, that's probably the one that would be maybe the most fun. I'd be the most interested in. But I, I think it's one of the least likely to get produced, mostly because there's so many other Star Wars properties out there right now, uh, and they're going in a lot of different directions. Uh, so I don't really see that one coming come into play. But I think that one has uh, you know the potential for for some you know, kind of fun stuff uh, that you could kind of inject into it. And there's some really again some pretty iconic characters in there uh, that you could kind of play around with. Uh, one of the ones that actually. I've been kind of interested in, and it would be almost more of a um, a spectacle because I, I, in terms of there's not a lot of story that you can drive with it. But uh, Subnautica, I, if you're not familiar with that game, that's one of your kind of uh, survival style games, survival crafting style games uh, with a really neat take. You sort of crash land on this water planet, and it's all about you know build you know keeping yourself alive. And exploring that planet, there's like no land. I mean, you you are literally floating. Um, so, ninety percent of the game is taking place underwater. Phenom- it's a beautiful game, and I think you could take a you know pretty much any male protagonist. I, off the top of my head, I kind of like the idea of probably uh, somebody somebody relatively young, you know, that could play like the stranded engineer. That's, that's kind of got to got to do a lot by themselves uh, in terms of their acting and how they're emoting, not necessarily who they're talking to. Uh, I think I think you could probably get. I mean, Jensen Eccles was the guy I kind of first thought, but he's. I don't think he'd be right for that necessarily because you'd really want him in something where there's a lot of emotional exchange with people in terms of you know, where his acting skills lay. But I could see actually somebody like Jake Gyllenhaal uh, or your Gyllenhaal, excuse me. He's really really good uh, in terms of that kind of stuff. And I remember watching uh, James Franco. He was in a movie. I, I caught part of this movie on Netflix. He was basically, it was a true story of, a, of this uh, this uh, hiker who I think was maybe 18 or 19. He was very, or no, he's like college. He's a very young guy. His, his uh, arms trapped in, trapped uh, under a boulder from a, a climbing accident. It's called, it's, I think the movie's called like 18 hours. He's trapped under there for, oh, you saw yeah, that one? It was 127 years. Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. And in, and. I remember watching how he acted in that movie. He ultimately had to cut his hand off to get out front of the boulder. But uh, I, I think somebody like Franco or Jake Gyllenhaal could kind of pull off the one-man show of something like Subnautica. And that's kind of an odd choice to pick for something like this, but I would be fascinated to watch it. And if you coupled it with uh, some really innovative visuals and underwater techniques, you know, that they could do in terms of CG and stuff like that. It could be a, a really neat movie to watch. Um, now I'm going to, 
you know, I'm going to kind of jump in from like relatively modern games or really well-known games to, to two things that I wish that they could make movies on. Um, number one is Dungeons and Dragons. Like I acknowledge that they made these horrendous oh, like yeah. drive-through movie I've style movies. <laughs> um, I acknowledge that those exist, and, and I think two of them were directed to to VHS, if you will. Um, now, word is, I think they're actually in pre-production for a, like a legit attempt at, at, a, at a power, like a, a real Dungeons and Dragons story. That world is too rich, and there are way too many phenomenal stories that are in there. You know, New York Times best-selling authors uh, that that they haven't pulled something over into a live action or, or hell, even an animated thing. But that's one that's begging for it just because of the depth of material that's in there uh, that I, I think they could do. Uh, and there, like I said, there are any number of absolute platinum world beating, you know, uh, fiction, you know, fantasy novels that they've produced out of that world that were translated into the game that are into the tabletop that they could do. But, Reference video games, they've had great, like great story-driven RPGs. Like the Baldur's Gate series, that was some phenomenal storytelling. And they take a, and a lot of people that write the, the old CPR RPGs or the old CRPGs that you had, uh, which I am it's one of, like very close to my heart, that style. Those were actually the guys writing the game, writing a lot of the stories that people were, even if they never played Dungeons & Dragons, they were buying, you know, these... Uh, uh, book series just by the bushel load. So Baldur's Gate, that those could be great. Um, even the old Dark Sun stuff, which I don't, I don't think that's a property they they use anymore, could be great. They've got all these different game worlds that have produced novels and in, and video games that they could work. Uh, Neverwinter Nights, a, an absolute classic in the RPG genre, uh, that has a lot of like best of like just really well-loved iconic characters from throughout many of the worlds of D&D that are dotted throughout some of these. I would love to see them take a, you know, maybe some of those or one of those and sort of base a movie around it. It, it would be, it would be absolutely great. Um, there's not a specific video game that I could pull for the, from my last one. Uh, but Warhammer 40 K is one of those big, huge, epic sort of game worlds, not unlike Dungeons and Dragons that they've they, now games workshop, the people that put, put out uh 40 K they sling that stuff around. They will, they will literally write the word, you know, Warhammer 40 K put TM on it and sell it for $25, like on a scrap of paper. And some dude's going to buy it probably. Uh, They've made one attempt at a, at a 40K movie. It was an animated movie uh, called Space Marine. It was a decent attempt, but it was woefully inaccurate. You could tell, like, they, they just, it, it was a not, it was not a, a uh, it was better than, it was better than the, the live action Dungeons and Dragons movies, all three put together. That The one, like, you know, 70 minute CG uh, thing that they did. Uh, that being said, huge properties are out there. Uh, and you can get any number of people to play in these. And you could go big, huge space opera, Game of Thrones style, Netflix super series. If you did like the uh, kind of the 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 thirty, they call it thirty k, and that's the um, the really when the whole Galactic Civil War happened that that brought you the broken galaxy that you see in Warhammer forty k. Or they can make it very small and more intimate, you know, almost Space Hulk style, which they did make a they tried to make a pretty passable video game at. 
so they've done some things in that world from a video game perspective, but nothing's translated to, to live action or animated. So those are my overalls just in terms of that. So Overwatch, for the love of God, make a CG movie. Fallout, would love to see that. Probably Netflix series. KOTOR, I, I don't think that one's going to go live action. I don't think you could make that live action. It'd, be, it'd just be too big. Uh, but I think if you took a Star Wars Rebel-style approach, it could be cool. Uh, the one that I think that would translate pretty well into a uh, live action, Subnautica, again, you'd have to re be really careful with kind of that one-man show. Uh, but really, the, the granddaddy, I, I think, is something like Neverwinter or... Uh, Baldur's Gate. That's probably the one I'd most really, really want to see is something like that brought into a movie. That's a pretty good list there. There's actually a few in there that I, I would probably agree I thought about as well, like the Fallout series and maybe not necessarily following um, the story exactly, but at least setting it in kind of that that setting. I mean, Fallout's always been a commentary on American culture and you can pretty much just take that idea and put it wherever you want in the country and set it to whatever story you want and it'll, it'll work. Um, well, you, you know, you think about it, there's a whole lot of vaults that, that haven't been explored, oh yeah. you know, so there's, you know, there's vault rollers all over the place that you can mold it to whatever you want. It didn't, didn't even necessarily have to come out of the new, new Vegas one, but that's the one in terms of just cause how cool a lot of the characters are. Uh, like I would love to see Bruce Campbell as like a ghoul, right? Like, I, I would love to see that like that. That would be, you know, that would be a lot of fun. Um, I thought you know, the guy from uh, Better Call Saul, uh, there was, you know, the, uh, the, the private detective, uh, like problem solver guy, fixer guy from um, Breaking oh. Bad. I thought he would be a, yeah, there you go. I thought he'd be a really good, um, fuck, I dressed up as him as Halloween. Um, oh, uh, the, yeah, yeah. The detective, uh, yes. the android detective. Um, God, hold on. Uh, that guy's name. Uh, killing me. Ba, 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 ba. Oh, Valentine. Yeah, yes, Valentine. Yeah, like he would be an awesome Valentine. Yeah, I can see that, and I mean they could they could do do real proper with with good CGI on that, make it look really cool. Yeah, no, I think that's that's another good one. And, and you raise a good point about kind of doing like a, a Skyrim or a you know Elder Scroll style. You're getting real close to Game of Thrones, and you'd probably just end up hearing that the whole time, which would be kind of a pain in the ass. So, you know, I, I'd probably stick with Fallout in that case. That's a good one. What about you, Bate? Uh, you got any that are are in your mind? Uh, yeah, just one. But I, I kind of want to kind of want to backtrack. I think for me, sure. just thinking about, it, I think Fallout. I don't, I don't necessarily would, would work as a as a show per se. I think it would do a lot better as a book, right? Kind of in this in the vein of um, of the World War Z book, where it's this this uh, each you know, say chapter part of the section of the book is somebody telling an, it, uh, their individual account of you know maybe the day that the bombs dropped or you know some other moment, um, some other important moment from from Fallout history from Fallout lore. Um, and then you, you could, you could accompany that with, with maybe, um, a, a mini series or something, but, but I, I think at least just me thinking about it, I think a, a book, um, would, would fit a, a lot more. That's actually an interesting take because, you know, oh, yeah, like yeah. That, Cause yeah. the world war Z, if you haven't read it is the best zombie book. It's not really about zombies. Like it's fantastic yeah. and it's not what you 
are thinking it's going to be about. It has nothing to do with the no, movie. Yeah, Which, which, <laughs> the movie by itself is like I said, nothing to do with the book was actually pretty decent. But the book itself, um, when you see it's a zombie book, you're going to go in there expecting a certain thing. It's not going to be what you're expecting, but it's really good because it's a different angle of what you're expecting. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, no, that's that's pretty fair. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, kind of going back to the one that always comes to my mind. Um, I guess is uh, I, I don't know why, but it, it's it's Uncharted, um, and it just seems like I don't know, kind of in in the vein of, of that whole Indiana Jones, and maybe that's why it comes to mind because I, I really enjoy those movies. Um, well, it that is coming. Oh, are they really? They're making one. Yeah, they, they talk. Yeah, yeah they, it's been it's been in the works for a okay. really long time. Well, I was about to say they've been threatening an Uncharted uh, movie for see, years. I, I, Right. I didn't realize that it was still a thing. I assumed it had gotten canned, but um, yeah, no, they're it's still out there, and it's funny because in the time that they've talked about making an Uncharted movie, they've relaunched. You know, Tomb Raider's been relaunched mm-hmm. in a franchise that very much bases off of yeah. Uncharted, and now has now a movie based on the new series of games. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, that's coming out next week, and I still have some hope it looks that it will interesting. be good. The, so we'll main, see. the main dude is um, fucking uh, what's his face from Justified. He's really good in Justified. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how uh, how he does in, in Tomb Raider. Huh. Mm-hmm. That might be interesting. What about some like Borderlands? Uh, I mean that that's that that's got some pretty cool yeah, characters. Yeah, that, that's another one where I think they could take the setting of you know Pandora yeah. and, and kind of roll with it. I don't know if I would go and try to retell the game oh. entirely because I, I feel like that I feel like whenever they do that they struggle because it usually turns into how can we cram as many iconic moments as possible mm-hmm. into two hours and it feels rushed that's um, true yeah. but the, the setting the setting is, is solid you know I think it, they could really do a lot of cool stuff with that and there's there's definitely enough there um, that, that you could play around with something like that yeah you know, I'm looking it up here, Bait, uh, for the Uncharted film. Looks like this new story that came out on January 23rd this year. Um, it says it's been rebooted. Um, it's going <laughs> to apparently star Tom Holland as a young Nathan Drake as a prequel to the series. No. Okay. Don't want to kill it for you, but that's that's what this this is on, uh, I guess, Den of Geek is what I'm yeah, saying. I'm the interview coming out of. I'm not going to go see that now. It's like, it's like having a, a British or a, you know, like some kind of London street urchin that was in Mary, the original OG Mary <laughs> Poppins. Like, Holy son, <laughs> we made it go to Ireland and have an adventure, son. I mean, I'm, like, I, I can't fucking do. I, can't I, I do mean, that. they've got a side by side of like you know Drake from from the mo- from the game yeah. next to Tom Holland in Spider Man outfit. I'm just oh. like, in in no sense does that visually make sense that that would turn into this, even with. X number of years in between, like he, like Tom Holland did a great job with playing the dorky kid, yeah, yeah. and that is not the Drake character, not, at all. not even so, close, yeah. You know, and like even that little snippet that you get to play this is young Drake, I think it was in like Peru or some shit, or Spain or something. Uh, in three, yeah, in three, um, he doesn't anything like Tom Holland. I'm sorry, that's not gonna work. Yeah, yeah. So sorry, buddy. <laughs> you you won't get Bradley Cooper well, as Drake. You're gonna have to get Tom Holland instead. <laughs> Damn it! I'm holding out. Hopefully, hopefully it's wrong. Hopefully, I'm getting uh, bad sure information hope. here. I, I am gonna hold out though. If if that movie ever does see the light today, uh, that that I will get Brian Cranston as as Sully. That would be a fantastic cast. I think. Yeah, I'd like that. That'd be pretty cool. 
So I, I did, uh, there is a, so Den of Geek, which is, is actually a really cool website, by the way, they do have a relatively recent uh, kind of neat little list that came out on the 28th of February. We'll link it in the show notes. Um, 42 video game movies currently in development. And I just did a quick scroll and some of them are kind of surprising. So Angry Birds, yeah, I mean, yeah, the first yeah, one's kind of cute, cute actually. So they're making a, they're making a sequel. Oh, uh, there is a I have there is a Call of Duty uh, movie that people are throwing around, but I don't know what the hell. I don't. I'm not sure that that to me doesn't. That's not something that you, should drive a, a movie. There's no characters that really yeah. resonate to people. Exactly. There's no. nothing iconic there. It's just it's it. You could you could literally take a half a dozen different you know movies that yeah. involve military combat well, and I just mean, slap like, a Call of Duty Call logo. Of Duty, on basically, already had. A Call of Duty, Call of Duty miniseries, and it's Band of Brothers. I mean, yeah, that's true. Time you know, and Call of Duty is known, right, for being a World War II game. I feel like, and as soon as you make that into a movie or a TV show, it's going to instantly get compared to Band of Brothers, and you're going to lose that that belt every single time. Yeah, I think they were going for the Black oh. Ops. Uh, stuff huh. in terms of what the movie is yeah. that they're going to make, but and even but it, the problem is Jake, uh, you know, excuse me, Zell's right. It, it, there's there's no lack of mm-hmm. movies that yeah. already come out that look like that. You know what I mean? So I, I don't think that's one. Uh, they're talking about let's see a lot of the TBAs, Dante's Inferno, mm. which was a cool video game, and they had a neat sort of manga anime style movie that came out, which was sort was actually not bad. Uh, okay, yeah, this one I was tracking. Detective yeah. Pikachu. Oh, Ryan yeah. Reynolds is voicing yeah, Pikachu. <laughs> I'm I'm a little frightened about that one. I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure about this. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. I, I hope it's just yeah. Like I, I just want it to happen so then he can later reference it in Deadpool at some point as you know part of the character. Yeah. No. Now that would be pretty cool. Uh, there is a division film oh. that has been kicked around. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal did sign up to apparently star in it, which I actually remember them talking about that when the game first came out. And if there's a game that would, that you could like probably way better than call of duty translate into like a, like a, an actual movie, the story of the division, like the way the story kind of unfolds over the course of the gameplay, that would actually lend it, lend itself to a, you know, to a movie. I think that one would not be too bad. Yeah, I I kind of kicked that one around because they came up with some live action like mini shorts um, for the launch. And yeah, they, they were good. decent. I mean, they were like five minutes each, but there was there was some thought there that they could actually take that somewhere. I, I wouldn't mind seeing that if they could, you know, put together a good plot for it. Because like you mentioned before, we were talking about it. The division story is not bad. Like they, they've got a good setup. It's it's by no means complete, but you know what they were getting at was was decent. So you know that that's a possibility as well. Fucking. Okay, so th- one just jumped out on the list. I'm surprised yeah. none of us said it. Metal Gear Solid. Uh, so I, see, I, before yeah. I ask, <laughs> who play who plays Solid Snake, aka Big Boss? So it was David Hayter originally, but then for Metal Gear Solid Five, they got um, uh, what's his name? No, no, I mean, but if you did oh. a live action, who played Solid Snake or Big Boss? Which is that? And please, for the love of God, hopefully that's not a spoiler <laughs> for somebody. Yeah, at this point. <laughs> What do you what do you think, Jay? What's what's your vote? Uh, I th- I think if you went with uh, younger Snake, uh, I would go with a guy like Jensen Eccles. I, I think he like the guy from one of the guys from Supernatural. I think he could do it. Um, I I think if you went with older Snake, that, that could be kind of tough. Um, 
You know, believe it or not, I, I kind of, I, I mean, I stop. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Actually, you know, I was like, believe it or not, I was thinking of Josh Brolin. Uh, that he would probably be as an older snake. I could kind of, I could kind of uh, see that. Yeah, yeah, I could buy that. Let's see. I'm Here's looking. I'm just doing a quick, really interesting. quick scan through this. Keep. It would, but look, what would you have to do to make it? You'd have to make it different, though. I mean, it, it would be. It, that, I think that would be uh-huh. an easy movie to conceptualize, but I don't know how how well it translates. Just be a big alien shoot 'em up. Which, uh, I mean, I, <laughs> granted, that's what the which, game. Which game did you yeah, say? I didn't catch it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I never played that one. I think you threatening no. another Mortal Kombat Stop. too. Stop. Um, <laughs> hey, I, I here's one. Portal. That'd be a fucking uh, great game. Uh, that no, I mean that would be a great movie. I'd love yeah. to see Portal. How do you do a movie with only one character that can talk? Well, that, would, okay, so that would have to change. No, but think about this. If you had Gladys and then if you had anybody that could actually like if the, so you had the silent protagonist in the game, but if in the movie you you got somebody that could play against Gladys, like play off against Gladys, that has the makings of a really good movie. Yeah, you good. could actually you could actually use the actual voice actor for that too. Yeah, exactly. That's that, yeah, that that's exactly what I'm thinking of. But you you could pick somebody, you could find somebody that potentially would have like a could have a really good sort of verbal rapport, you know, a back and forth type of thing with Gladys that could make that a a pretty fun pretty fun movie to watch no now that you now that you said from like the that perspective that could actually work um that'd be a fun one i'd actually like to see them do a like a short film and nothing crazy but you could do a like a 90 minute bit i think it'd be pretty good what about you zell you got any ideas you guys have uh, actually brought up There's most a lot of, of good mine ones. i kind of i kind of lean towards um you know looking for games that have already done the work they they are cinematic in nature so um, I'm definitely, uh, you know, I, I think franchises like Uncharted and Tomb Raider are really conducive to it. Um, I personally, uh, you know, is uh, Jay touched on uh, Knights of the Old Republic. I'm a big Mass Effect fan, and as much as that oh, franchise yeah. has been very much distanced from, I think, right now, um, I, I think uh, in many ways it felt like the new Star Trek in an era when Star Trek was you know, missing from uh, society. Uh, and it's, it's back now actually. And it's great, but hey, um, yeah, no, I was just, I just, you said something that struck me, man. Do you, have you seen the lost in space trailer? I, I have not. Uh, if you go, if you go check that out, like uh, you can, I'm just everywhere on YouTube right now. Uh, watch that and tell me that doesn't look like if you put the words mass effect under it, that you'd be like, yeah, that's like a fucking mass effect trailer for a live action Netflix series. It looks exactly like like Mass Effect. <laughs> this looks pretty cool, actually. I'll pull it up right now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bust in on on you though. Sorry. I'm, that, that's it. Just it popped in my head when you no, said no that. Problem. And uh, yeah, I mean, th- those are kind of the franchise I look to. I I definitely would love to see Overwatch uh, as a thing. Um, uh, in in film, I think they're already halfway there. I think there's going to be a point where they could, you know, take like ten minutes of stitching material between all their existing <laughs> stuff and turn it into a movie. But you know, hey, so you now you're like I think you're lost on a desert island. Only one game game developer you'd go with Blizzard, you know, kind of thing. Uh, if that's all the games you could play, so I, I like. Do you think any of the other Blizzard titles are they as well woven in terms of like that kind of background story? Uh, I mean, c- certainly StarCraft is, but uh, do you think other Blizzard titles kind of lend themselves well, to, I mean, to that? Well, I mean, 
Warcraft as a franchise is definitely an endless well, they, they have made of, a movie on of, yeah. of lore. Um, and I think their problem with I, I think their problem with their movie was probably that they they didn't focus on things that they could have told a really compelling story for mo- a movie about. Um, I think they probably threw in a bunch of characters that even like as a you know long term Warcraft player, okay. I would be hard pressed to know who they are or why I should care about them. Um, you know, there, there, things like that. Um, but there is a lot of story there to work with. Um, here's the storm has nothing. Um, but Overwatch, Warcraft, Starcraft definitely does. Starcraft is actually very cinematic as well. If you, um, uh, it's cinematics are extremely well done for Starcraft too. Um, I'm really bad at RTSs is, 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 but, uh, I do enjoy all the cinematic work for it. That sounds cool. Like I, I just I remember you know some of those like uh, I think Star Starcraft Two is probably for me like kind of the definitive Starcraft experience. You know I, I'm not a huge RTS fan, but I, I do play some of them if, if they they're pretty compelling. Uh, and I remember like I said, there's some really cool cinematic threads throughout that thing for you know which actually stitch it together surprisingly well. So I, I was just kind of curious because Blizzard they're really good at world building, and it seems like that'd be some of their stuff being an easy jump to uh to like either an animated or a, a big big or small screen yeah and kind of like you guys have mentioned before it's it's like they're probably already in the works in the once they get because because they've got like a, a certain number of characters they're trying to release right like it's like 30 characters or something is that right for uh overwatch i i think so like, i can see them hitting that 30 and then being like okay we got all the ones we want here's your your movie and just kind of rolling it out like they've already been building it along the way i think it's it's pretty safe to assume this will happen eventually at some point i think i think one of the things that they would struggle with is uh, you have to pick it's like you know like when a gi joe movie or a transformer movie comes out like how do you how do you get like which characters do you want to center the game mm-hmm. around sort of or center the movie around because you got so many that are that are like these kind of like vibrant sort of individualistic characters. Um, but I, like, like I said, I, I'd be very, very keen to see it. Yeah. No, I, like I said, I'd probably even watch it even though I'm not, I don't play the game because it's the, the stuff they put out is really solid and the characters are, are interesting from what little you see. So it'd be good stuff. I think it would do well. Okay. Well, I think we, I think we hit that one pretty well. I think there's a lot of, a lot of opportunities out there. Um, you know, you'll probably see a handful of, you know, video game movies moving forward and, you know, hopefully they kind of figure out how to do these right. Uh, since, you know, a lot of the offerings we've seen thus far are not fantastic. Some are okay. Some are bad. Um, I, I can't think of any in recent memory that were like fantastic. Um, so, you know, I, I'd like to get to that point, but you know, we'll see how it goes. Okay, so I think that we've kind of exhausted our, our topics so far. Um, as promised, I did want to talk about one of the free PS Plus games for this month. Um, it's a game that I, I didn't play this week, but I have played in length and beaten for the most part, um, and that is Bloodborne. And that is a, a very interesting title. Um, so kind of backing up if you're not familiar with, with what it is or what it's part of. So most people in gaming have heard of Dark Souls. Um, it's a pretty iconic uh, title, and it's it's known for its level of difficulty and its very tense and unforgiving combat. Um, typically, Dark Souls games are kind of a medieval, you know, I don't want to say post-apocalyptic, but it's usually a medieval setting in a kingdom that's been broken, where it's just everything has gone to shit, um, and, you know, you're, you kind of wake up as 
in various states of um, typically undead. You're typically this undead being that, you know, when they die, they just respawn and they have to kind of cope with the, the consequences of that as you go through the game because it's hard. You're going to die a lot. Um, and Bloodborne is not a Souls game. It's not a Dark Souls game, but it is absolutely in the same thought process of the kind of, you know, kind of experience you're going to have. It's a very grueling, very hard, dark, difficult game. Um, and all of this actually spawned from a game called Demon Souls, which is when I got into the series, which was before most people. Um, and Demon Souls was kind of like the trial run of, of getting up into Dark Souls. And, you know, Dark Souls had three entries, one, two, and three. And then Bloodborne was a Sony exclusive that, uh, you know, it popped up at the launch of the PS4. And I think that it was one of the actually one of the most highest selling games of the PS4 when it came out um, has been critically acclaimed, acclaimed as absolutely fantastic. Um, so what you can kind of expect from this series as a whole, um, like I said, is very tense, difficult gameplay. Dark Souls in, in general has been kind of a, you've got your heavy armor on, you've got, you know, a shield and like a spear or something. And the gameplay has been very methodical. Um, it's, it's, it's slow, you know, for the most part, it's all about kind of like defending and finding an opening doing some damage, back off, and, and, you know, wait for your next opening. That's what Dark Souls typically divulges into. As for Bloodborne, it's the opposite. Um, and as, as you'll find out when you're playing Bloodborne, a lot of things are kind of the opposite of, of Dark Souls. In Bloodborne, it's all about speed and reflexes and being aggressive. Um, you don't tend to spend a lot of time defending. In fact, the game doesn't have shields at all. It's It, it tells you like there's like a single shield, and it kind of makes fun of you if you try to use it. It's like, this is worthless. Why are you even trying to use this thing? So typically what you're armed with, instead of like, you know, a sword and a shield, is you tend to have um, what's known as a trick weapon, which is of various types of, they're all over the place, right? Like, so, like, one of the ones I like is called the threaded cane. And so, in its normal form, it's like a bladed cane that you basically, you know, beat things with. But it can transform into this, like, chain whip that's got these blades on. You can, like, whip enemies with it. Um, other weapons are like the the saw cleaver, where it's kind of this, like, like, like rounded serrated saw, but you can flip it out so the blade swings out and turns into, like, a long sword. Um... And so the gameplay kind of revolves around using these weapons and knowing when to transform mid-combo or when you should use each version of the weapon to, you know, best deal with the situation. And then in your other hand, um, instead of a shield, you have a gun. And this isn't like Call of Duty gun. Like, the, the guns don't really do much damage at all. Instead, what the gun is for is effectively parrying. So, like, certain enemies, when they do certain attacks, you can fire the gun at the right moment and it will stun them. And allow you to kind of jump in and do this like visceral attack, which is like a big, huge damage um, sort of attack. The downside is if you screw this on the timing up, you're left wide open to basically get your 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 ass handed to you. So it's all about kind of this high stakes, knowing the timing, knowing the weapons. Um, you have to really learn this stuff over time because it teaches you real quick that if you're just flailing around like an idiot, you're going to die very quickly. Um, and so it's a high emphasis around kind of this high level of skill and speed. And the speed is also a big difference between like Dark Souls and, and Bloodborne. So um, like I said, you don't defend, you evade a lot. You'll be jumping to the side, you'll be dodging. Um, but the biggest thing is, is that it, it's a system called the rally system. And the idea is that when you take damage, um, your health bar drops, obviously, but there's like a portion of the health bar that if you follow up taking damage by immediately dealing damage, you actually will recover 
that part of the health um, up to a certain point. And so what it turns into is, you know, you're fighting, you take a hit, you have like a quarter of a second to make the decision of, do I back off and use a healing item, which takes time and consumes resources, or do I push my luck, dive in, you know, even harder and try to get more hits in to recover some of the health I lost. And so it turns into this like split second, you know, decision-making game where you have to really assess exactly what's going on. Do I want to attack? Do I want to defend, you know, by running away? And it's incredibly tense. Um, you you really have to be on top of your game and understand exactly what the enemy is doing, how your weapon works, how much damage you took, trying to remember what items you have left. Did you Are you low on health? You know, do you need to, you know, conserve what you have left and go in for that, that free heal? Um, it's, it's very, very fast and you, you've got to be quick and it's all about reflexes and in assessing situations very quickly. Um, and that's kind of the big difference what you'll see between like a dark souls and bloodborne is that it's not so much about defend, be cautious, wait, it's kind of be as reckless as possible, but not so much that you get killed. Um, and it's kind of like you're playing chicken almost with the game of how, how hard can I push it before I get killed, you know? And that's really what kind of appealed to me is that, you know, I love Dark Souls. Dark Souls and Demon Souls, fantastic games. They're all amazing. Um, but, you know, at times it was kind of like, I feel like I'm just turtling behind a shield, poking at this thing with a spear, you know, trying to whittle its way down. With Bloodborne, it was like, you know, you don't get to defend. You have to be as aggressive as possible um, to pull out the win. And if you're not, you're probably going to, you're probably going to die um, repeatedly. So, you know, that's that's really what what gripped me was this really intense, hyper aggressive sort of gameplay. And like I said, you're like playing chicken with the game. And that's that's really what kind of seals the deal with why I love the combat in this game. Um, visually and like thematically, it's effectively set in, we'll say kind of this like high Victorian Gothic era. So you'll you'll see kind of like a lot of like that Victorian, you know, you've got like trench coats and, you know, uh, waistcoats and, you know, tricorn hats and all kinds of stuff but everything is very gritty think like industrial area london where it's just everything is filthy but in this case it's typically everything is covered in blood and rotting corpses because again the world has kind of gone to shit you just randomly wake up you have no backstory um you're sick and this creepy guy who's got his eyes bandaged closed and says like hey you know you're obviously sick, but, you know, if you sign this contract, I'll give you um, blood ministration. And this is this special blood they have that's going to heal any sickness you have. Um, so, you know, he injects you and you start having this horrible nightmare. And then you finally wake up and you're kind of thrust into this world where there's these beasts roaming around. And it's the night of the hunt. So these villagers are basically hunting these beasts down. But the villagers themselves have kind of gone crazy and you know they recognize you as a beast and they're trying to kill you and it's just it's a complete mess and so the whole game is like a lot of these souls games is you got to figure out what's going on and if you just plow through the game you can probably get to the end and be very confused about what the hell just happened it is not the kind of game where the narrative is handed to you in a very like straightforward manner so there are cutscenes, right they're probably at most like 20 seconds long and they usually are like a few lines of dialogue. It's mostly just kind of showing certain characters. They're a big deal. They're very important, but this isn't like Metal Gear Solid where you're going to be sitting through eight hours of cutscenes. You know, it's a very light, they don't hand you much. It's just barely enough to get you to 
give like a motivation of why you're doing what you're doing. But if you really want to understand what's going on in this world, it's a lot of, you know, hunting down certain NPCs, completing kind of side quests to get certain um, levels of dialogue, reading item descriptions. Like that's like, it's kind of an ongoing joke, but like most of the story of these games are, are written in the descriptions for items. So you might pick up a sword. That sword may have a, a very detailed explanation of, you know, where it came from or who it belonged to. And it kind of becomes this big puzzle of I'm finding random pieces and I have to kind of put them all together to get a better picture of what's going on. So, I mean, do they have, is there like a, uh, like a grimoire like function where it's collected or is it literally just through individual item descriptions? Like once you discover something, can you, is there some kind of like lore like repository that you can access? Typically not. You have to store the item and and take Ah, a look at it. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of a very old school, like, you know, you've got a, <laughs> it's, it's, it's clunky almost in its storytelling, but at the same time, you know, when you do f- kind of figure something out, you really feel like you, you worked for it and you accomplished it. So, you know, it's kind of both sides there. It can be a little frustrating because you may not know what's happening, but when you do figure it out, um, it, it does kind of give a good sense of accomplishment. So I do like that. Um, I'll be honest you will never figure out 100% of what's going on in these games on your own. Um, luckily, there are some fantastic YouTubers out there that know everything. Um, and I'll get to that in a second. But, you know, they're always a great resource, like kind of get through the game and then, you know, go back and kind of let them fill you in on the parts you missed. Um, it doesn't ruin the gameplay experience. I think it's it really just kind of drives home that what you just went through is actually very interesting. Um, and hopefully you got, you know, <laughs> a lot of it. So, you know, there are guides out there to kind of help you to digest a lot of this stuff. But um, just be forewarned, you're not going to figure it out all out on your own just because there's so much built into these games. Um, so, like I said, the story is, that's kind of set up for the story. Now, um, if you're at all familiar with the works of HP Lovecraft, um, you'll often see games that'll, you know, say, hey, it's a Lovecraft game, and they'll drop, you know, the name Cthulhu, and there'll be some giant squid monster, and that's, you know, that's kind of what they're going for. Um, I don't like those. I think that they're lazy, and they're just trying to, you know, cash in on the idea of, of his work. Um, and I actually never even read any of HP Lovecraft stuff before I played this game. I actually read it after I played the game and kind of realize what they were going for with this. So I will say that if you're going to make an HP Lovecraft game, Bloodborne is how you do it because it doesn't focus necessarily on the characters or the things or, you know, the monsters in his stories. It focuses on the ideas that he was trying to portray specifically that, you know, there are otherworldly or cosmic forces at work in the world that you are in and, they don't even give a shit about what you're doing and you have no clue what's going on. And even trying to understand what is going on and seeing just a glimpse of the truth is enough to drive you crazy. And that's really the theme that kind of permeates throughout this game. And that there's lots of things that things will happen to you that you don't really understand. And it will actually make more sense as the game progresses because you kind of start to learn more and more about what's going on. But at the same time, your character kind of starts losing it after a while because they're seeing things that their their brain just can't handle. Um, and that's kind of uh, handled through what's called the insight system. And so as you encounter these creatures, these monsters, and you start to develop this level of insight, and um, insight is used for various things like summoning allies in, you know, to help you with fights, that sort of thing. It's kind of like this this sort of currency you have. But as a gameplay mechanic, that the more you have at certain points, like, you know, when you have like 30 insight or 60 insight or 90 insight, 
the way that you see and understand the world will change in some noticeable ways. Like you'll start seeing stuff that, you know, it wasn't there before. Like, <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything, but like stuff will happen to you that will seem confusing and random. And then once you gain enough insight, you'll start to see the thing that did that to you. Um, and it will start to make sense. And it's, it's actually kind of creepy because you realize it's been there the whole time. You just weren't aware enough to actually see that it was there. Um, and that's really where a lot of this Lovecraftian stuff comes out is that, yeah, there are some squid monsters and that sort of thing. And they, they definitely reference indirectly to his work, but it's the ideas behind it that are really, really solid. And they do a fantastic job at really driving home this idea of, you know, forces at work that you don't understand. And there's more to this than, than you realize. So in terms of storytelling, that is by far the absolute best part of this game. Um, the way that it's digested is difficult. It may not be for everyone, but if you are a fan of his work, if you um, are at least interested in it, this is a really, really good translation of what he was trying to say into a video game. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, what else is there? Uh, the DLC, also extremely solid, um, incredibly good value. I don't think the DLC is included with the free game, but if you like the game, buy the DLC. It's it's well worth your time. It's, it's absolutely worth the value. I had no issue with the price tag compared to what you got. Um, very, very solid. Uh, there are a few issues I have with the game. Um, the way that they handle health recovery um, with items specifically is a, is a big sticking point for me I didn't care for. Um, you, as you kill enemies, you get blood vials and blood vials, or you inject yourself with them and they, they heal you. Right. And you can carry up to 20 of these things. And so they are a finite resource that you can carry 20 and you can store as many as you want back at, you know, the central hub. So when you die, you go back, you can take, you know, it kind of auto refills your, your blood vials from your, your stash and you go out again. Um, the problem with this is that there are sections of the game where as you are learning how to, you know, deal with bosses, because it's, it's a very, it's a very learning intensive deal, learning by repetition, you know, try it, die, try it, die. You keep kind of changing your tactic until you finally kind of figure out how to get past that part of the game. You know, dying repeatedly is part of the gameplay. That being said, as you're playing, you're going to be using health files and try to keep yourself alive to get through the boss fight. Okay, fine. Eventually you start to run out and the rate at which you're getting them through normal play is not enough to keep up with how many you're probably consuming, at least while you're learning, to continue playing. So what will happen is that you'll get to a point where you're like, I'm out of health files. And so what you do is you go back to this one area that everyone uses at the beginning of the game and you farm them for like hours because you have to, you know build them up because you're going to want like 200 of these things because 10 deaths is probably 200 files and it's going to take two hours just to get that many. I really, really disliked how much that pulled me out of the experience. Um, it's different from how some of the Dark Souls games handled health recovery. I didn't care for the fact that I effectively was forced to farm these things for an extended period of time. It was very frustrating and it, it did detract from the experience. So there are some things like that that I didn't care for. Um, that being said, that was one of the few things I disliked about this game. The experience of it was incredibly solid. The storytelling is unorthodox, but rewarding. The themes they're trying to touch on are, you know, very interesting, very cool as you progress through. Um, particularly once you kind of understand the full scope of what's going on, you, you kind of realize how brilliant the story actually is. Um, Gameplay-wise, incredibly engaging, fast-paced, aggressive. You know, it rewards a high level of skill. 
I found that very rewarding. And the setting is just fantastic. It's it's this very gritty, filthy, bloody Victorian, you know, setting. It's surreal. Like it's not just like you know the Victorian buildings. It's like Victorian buildings like on steroids. Like just absolutely absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> um, you'd have to see some of the screenshots to understand how they took the idea of the visual and just like cranked it to eleven. Like it's great. Um, overall, this is one of my favorite games of all time. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Um, like I said, there were some things that really kind of pulled me out of the overall experience, like the health recovery items and the farming that knocked off some points. But, you know, overall, like I said, top tier game, it is a, probably like a, a solid nine and a half out of ten. Like it's it's very, very close in terms of kind of gameplay experience to being like perfect. But again, there were some things that just I didn't care for, like, you know, like I mentioned. So. You know, if you are all familiar with the Dark Souls series or want to try something that's going to be very challenging, and I'm, I'm be honest, it's going to be frustrating. You're going to get pissed off because you know it's it's hard, but it's fair. If you die, it's because you screwed up, not because the game screwed you. So once you get your head around in that mentality that it's my fault if I die, I just have to be better next time. Um, it's easier to kind of kind of you know uh, digest the game, but. You know, overall, incredibly solid game. I highly, highly suggest you pick it up if you have a PS4 um, and, play, and PlayStation Plus. It's worth your time um, to at least give it a shot to kind of see what the, the whole hype is about. Because uh, you'll hear Dark Souls referenced all the time. Bloodborne's in the same family. It it all applies. So, you know, give it a shot. You know, very good game. And, uh, you know, let us know what you think if you do give it a try. I'd be curious to see what people, um, what people think of it. Um, two things I wanted to mention, however, is that there is an online element. It is a single player game, but there is an option to play online. What this will allow you to do is that if there are people that are friendly and they want to help you, they can put down like a sign on the ground. You can kind of interact with the sign and summon them into your, your kind of instance of the game and they can help you fight through the level and beat the boss. And then they kind of get desummoned. Um, that's really cool. And there's also an element where if you are online that people can invade your world and try to kill you. So if you're just kind of plodding along, someone can come into your world and, and, and try to, you know, murder you. And, you know, they get a reward if they manage to kill you, but you can try to fend them off or someone help to kind of help fight against them. Um, that's kind of part of the all over online play. You do not have to play online. Um, sometimes there are NPCs you can summon to kind of help with certain hard boss fights. Um, your gameplay experience is not going to be bad without online play. It is, however, um, you know, worth giving a shot to kind of, again, see what it's like to play online. Good news is, is that the community for the Dark Souls and the, the, the Bloodborne uh, games is fantastic. And whenever something like this happens where a game is offered for free, they will have a return to event. So right now, because um, the game is free on PSN, there's kind of this mass gathering of, hey, let's go play Bloodborne. So people who are new to the series can experience the online play like we did when we first started playing. So you're going to actually find that even though the game is quite old, for you know, being a, like a, a launch title for PS4, there is going to be a lot of people playing this game right now. So you will have access to those online elements, um, even though it's it's a bit of an older title. So that's uh, that's um, definitely worth you know keeping in mind. You're not going to be left out of that experience. Uh, the other thing is um, I mentioned to uh, like if like lore videos that sort of thing. Vati Vidya on uh, YouTube is the guy to go to for your lore for anything related to Dark Souls, Demon Souls, Bloodborne. 
Um, if you're familiar with My Name is Bife for like Destiny lore, this guy is the lore guy for the Soulsborne series. So check him out. He's kind of my he's like he's kind of my shout out. I've kind of jumped the gun here, but um, his stuff is absolutely fantastic, incredibly well produced. Um, and we'll get a link in the description. I think I've mentioned him before, but you know, do check him out if you haven't yet. He's really really good. Sounds good. I'll definitely have to look into that. I, I've always heard about the series. I know you're a huge fan. You've talked to me about it periodically, but it's this is one I've never really gotten into. Uh, I don't know if it's because of the setting or or whatever, but it's just something I hadn't dived into. But it's definitely uh, become ubiquitous with you know, sort of like when you hear people talk about this is a rogue light or rogue type experience. They're not talking about the Dungeons and Dragons character class. They're talking about the fucking game. Yeah. Uh, and then when you hear people talk about things like, yeah, it's kind of a Dark Souls game. That's like code for, I don't care how much Mountain Dew you drink and Cheetos you wolf down. You're going to be playing that game a long time to figure it out. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, Jay, you know, it, it may not be in your usual wheelhouse of games you play, but I think it's worth giving a shot even just for a couple hours just to kind of see what people are yeah, talking absolutely. about. Yeah, like if, if if like honestly, people, if if you give it a shot, this is not a game for everyone. It's 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 really challenging. It's not going to appeal to everyone. Just download it and give it a try. Just just even if you set it down, no shame. Just try it out and see what you think, or just so you know and you can participate. When someone says it's like Dark Souls, um, when when people start using a game like to define a genre, you know there's something there to see. So you know, I, I really do. You do give it a shot and see what it's like. Yeah, I, and I, I think that's – and just you know, on that note, like reference, that kind of stuff. Like that may not be a game that I would go if I'm like walking around like a GameStop or something that I might pick up for myself. But just because of the impact that it has on how other games are made, I, I you know, that's a great example of something that while I might not have originally decided to pick it up, but like you should experience it at some point because then that will probably tell you a lot or you'll see the DNA of it probably in games you do like. Yeah, absolutely. There's lots of games out there that that are trying to be like the Soulsborne series. Like um, the Surge is one that you mentioned uh, a few months back. It was kind of a, a sci-fi yeah. style game that was yeah, that was trying to be in the same lines of um, of Dark Souls. I think there's Code Vein, which is kind of more of a anime style. I think it's done by Capcom. Also, kind of trying to be in the same the same uh, DNA as that. So it's it's very influential and it's it's worth checking out. Um, that being said, guys, I think we're good. We're pretty long on time here, so let's go into some shout-outs here. Um, I already gave mine um, for Vati Video. We'll get a link in the description. Um, do check him out. Uh, even if you don't intend to play the game, it's a fascinating story, and his videos are fantastic. So do do be sure to kind of take a look um, and see what he has to offer. But uh, Zell, I'll have you go first. Uh, shout-out, man. Pass. He's passing and grumpy because we went really long, and I told him. I warned yeah. him. I warned <laughs> him last one. Okay. Bait, you're up yeah, then. So, um, uh, my shout out, I think, uh, this week is going to have to go to uh, something that I talked about uh, back in November when Assassin's Creed Origins launched. Um, if you recall, I, uh, Ubisoft was talking about how they were going to add in this thing called Discovery Mode uh, that was going to be a, a guided tour throughout, uh, throughout ancient Egypt. And it dropped, it actually came out in like the end of February. Um, I just actually noticed it uh, this, uh, this afternoon as I was playing Origins. Um, and I thought, you know, hey, I'll jump into there. Um, it's something I'm interested in trying out. And oh my God, is it so fucking cool. Um, 
there's I counted there's like 75 individual tours that uh, talk about all kinds of things um, ranging from from fashion in ancient Egypt to irrigation to the city like right I during the show I I went through about half of the uh, the tour of Alexandria um, which was really interesting and it's all sourced from uh, from from professionals in the in the field who know what they're talking about so it's not just you know what some some kid at Ubisoft people and, and just hey, um, it's all narrated and all the taking on so you really can just walk around and take in the take in the game and, and the information that's being given to you. So it's really, really interesting. And if you have origins, um, I definitely recommend that you you pick it up and you just walk through um uh walk through the tour. I think the longest one I've seen is twenty minutes. Um and the shortest I've seen is two minutes, but they're about five minutes um or so for for a tour. That's pretty cool, man. I actually think that'd be a good topic for us to maybe handle next week is video games and how they can be mm-hmm. used for education and that sort of thing. Cause that's, that, that would be fascinating. Like I remember an old computer title I had that was basically an ancient history, ancient Egypt history sort of thing. I love that thing. It was fascinating. Um, and I'd be, I'd be curious to kind of reapproach that from the angle of modern gaming and the concepts behind gaming and how it can be used for yeah. teaching and educating people. So yep, maybe next week we'll take a look through at that. A little bit more too. Cool. Sounds good. All right, Jay, you're up. Okie dokie. Uh, in terms of shout outs, I will have to, I'll have to show my age and I'm going to give a shout out to two places that, or that have ultimately defined where a lot of my, my clothes are coming from now. One is REI. I don't know what my yearly dividend check is going to be from them, but it's fat. Uh, so that would be one. And then old Navy. So here's what's happening. I'm, I find myself in my ever ending quest to like not be the old guy. Like I try to buy my newer hipper jeans. I actually was conned into trying to purchase a pair of skinny jeans from, uh, from old Navy. Um, so that doesn't work real well for me. Uh, not a good thing, but I, I did want to include old Navy in that, uh, because they do, because their jeans do have like, uh, basically uh spandex built in you know woven into the denim so they're nice and flexy so it's kind of cool i'll feel much more more limber when i'm rolling around in old navy jeans and i don't quite look as bad as like you know the 40 year old dad who shops at the gap so thanks uh but reference rei which is generally what i where the vast majority of my clothes come from I just want to give them a shout out because, you know, I just tallied up about how much money I spend on, on them on a yearly basis. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's pretty rough. <laughs> nice. All right, guys. Well, I think, uh, it was a pretty good show. We had some good discussion. I think we got a good topic for, for next week we'll touch on. So, um, that being said, you know, if you do have any interesting topics you want us to discuss or any news bits that you think are worth mentioning, let us know. You're also ever always welcome to join us on the show, kind of like Joe, <laughs> join us on the show, kind of like Nomex did last week. Um, we love having guests. So just uh, hit us up on biomass.net or biomass.com. All our contact information is there. Uh, But that being said, everyone have a good night out there and uh, see you next week.